Amen. Well, good morning, Pillar Church. My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here. Go ahead and open in your, book, uh, in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We've been going through Galatians for about 30 weeks with little intermittent breaks here and there. And we're still in Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 5. Now, while you're turning to Galatians chapter 5, I want to ask you a question and ask you to remember something. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and what they said disturbed your, and shook, rocked your faith in Jesus? If, if you have a common practice of sharing your faith with people, talking about Jesus with people, then you're going to come to a point where you're going to have a conversation with somebody and they're going to say something that rocks you to your core. Something that you may have not had the answer for, right? That's, that's going to happen to you. I may have told this story before, but I want to share a story where I was deeply disturbed. It's about this dude on a bus. You know, I'm from Boston. My high school was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We shared a city block with Harvard University. Because I was an alumni athlete, we got access to the weight room constantly, even post-graduation. And so I'd always be at the high school gym, hitting the weights, me and the homies. That's what we would do. We'd just, ah, hit them weights. Y'all know what it is. If you don't, you'll go hit the weights. You know what I'm saying? It's fun. Hit them weights. In, in June 2005, the Lord had redeemed my soul. And I was one of them on fire, tell everybody about Jesus that I've ever met. I don't care who you are, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you that Christ. As much of it as I had, I was going to give it to you. I, that was me. Like the, from the moment the Lord redeemed me, I was like, what you know about Jesus? I didn't care who you were. I didn't care what you look like. It was like, yo, what you know? What you know about Jesus? And I tried to break him off with some, to me it was deep. It was the shallowest thing and I, I ain't had nothing. But I was like, yo, Jesus, ah. I was just jumping on people. So one time I went to the high school weight room, hopped on the bus to go home. The bus was right, out, right on the outskirt of Harvard. I get on the bus and I see a Harvard student sitting across from me. So, you know, I'm like, oh, it's time to eat. Right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm about, this dude about to get it. If I told y'all this story, bear with me. I tell the same stories over and over because I only got about 10. I'm looking at this dude. I'm like, oh, he about to get it. I'm about to get this dude the business. And so he's sitting there. He looks up and I'm staring at him. I'm sitting on the bus. He's riding. And I'm waiting. I'm like, look up. Look up. And he looks up. And he makes the eye contact. Like, Bro, what you know about Christ? That was my line. That's my line. What you know about Christ? Don't take my line. It's for me only. What you know about Christ? And this dude, like, locked with me and was like, who, Jesus? And I was like, I didn't expect him to say that. And, and I was like, uh, yeah, man, yo, repent and believe. You know what I mean? That's all I had. Repent and believe. I didn't know what else to tell him. And he was like, you believe that nonsense? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, don't you know the Bible's been changed over hundreds of years? He was like, how do you know that this is what Jesus really said? Like, all this time has been between then and now. People done got their hands on it and changed it. How do you even know? How do you know that's really what, what Paul and Peter really said? And I was like, repent and believe, yo. Repent and believe, right? And he was like, man, you wildin'. You believe in this nonsense. So I was like, all right, cool. So I got off the bus. I immediately called my mentor, Nixon. And I was like, yo, Nixon, man, this dude just told me that the Bible's been changed, man. I don't even know what you're saying, man. All of a sudden, I was broken because I was like, yo, this dude just disturbed my soul with this information. And I was like, part of me was like, yo, this dude might be right. Because I remember I was in Bible study and I had one version of the Bible and someone else had a different version of the Bible. And they didn't say the same thing exactly. So I was like, yo, the whole Bible does say this. Oh, my goodness. It's been changed. Who changed it? And so my mentor comes and he sits me down. And he starts schooling me on something called lower textual criticism. 
That's the, that's the whole concept of Bible transmission, how the Bible was handed down from generation to generation and the, the practices of the scribes as they used to copy the scripts and, and the methodology behind it. Come to find out the Bible is the most, most historically reliable document of all antiquity. We're more sure that we have the words of Jesus than we are of the words of Julius Caesar or anybody else from, that era, from, from close to that era. So it took about two, three days. I'm sitting down I'm eating this, right? I'm like, oh, what? Oh, it's been the same. Oh, mm, 99.99 textual purity. Okay, mm, I'm going in. I'm like, yo, let me see this dude on the bus. Bro, I promise I was in the weight room every day, taking the bus at the same time, waiting for homeboy. But have y'all ever been disturbed like that? Yeah. Yeah. I've been disturbed. I, it rocked me. And it's funny because the Apostle Paul is talking to a particular people group who have like, likewise been rocked by some false information, causing them to doubt the faith that they have and believe in. Look at the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. He says, I wish those who were disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another. Watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. What's going on in this passage? What's going on in this text? Well, let's look at verse 12 by itself first. Let's just look at verse 12. I wish those who were disturbing you might let themselves be mutilated. Now you're like, what, what, is, what is going on? Why is Paul talking about this mutilation stuff, right? Let me help you. In the region of Galatia, there are false teachers who are disturbing the Christians who already have professed faith in Jesus in the, the region of Galatia. And there are false teachers going in and they're telling the Christians there that God will not accept you as his people unless you add circumcision to your faith. If you don't add circumcision to your faith, you are not God's people. They're essentially saying that Jesus is good, but Jesus plus your efforts equals better. Jesus plus something that you do equals your redemption, your salvation, your acceptance with God. Do this and you'll be good. Don't do this and you won't be good. Okay, that's what, they're, that's what they're, they're teaching. Now remember, circumcision was instituted by God in the Old Testament. But listen to this, what God instituted as a sign these false teachers took and, and, and replaced it as the substance. They took something that was supposed to be a sign of God's people and replaced it as what is the substance of what God's people is made of. Meaning you can't be God's people without this thing. And Paul is sounding an alarm and he's saying, no, that's not the gospel. That's altogether a different message. And that message has no power to save. If you remember about 26 weeks ago, we learned over this verse, Galatians 1, 6 through 7, where Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Beloved, anytime you add human effort to the work of Jesus, you have now started to preach and believe a different gospel. OK, this is just what it is. He says not that there is an actuality, another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
Then he said this, about 16 weeks ago, we looked at this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? That's a rhetorical question, right? He's saying, you know the answer to this question. Did you receive, when it says the, the spirit, were you made right with God and endowed with his Holy Spirit by what you believed or by what you did? That's what he's saying. Are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit? Are you trying to finish by the flesh? That's like getting half a Picasso and trying to finish it with a pencil. Right? He's saying it's foolishness to think that what God started in you, you somehow have the ability to finish it. You got to stay with the one who started it because he's the one who can bring it to completion. That's the, the idea. Paul says this elsewhere in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. For we conclude that a person is justified. Let's see how, how well y'all remember. What does justified mean? Huh? To be, made right. to be made right, right? To be made right with God. Justified, right? You are, you, are, you are declared righteous is what the term is. You're made right with God. Those who are justified by faith. Church word. Replace faith with trust. That's a good word to replace that word with. This is a modern word that makes trust. A person is made right with God by trust, by faith, and apart from what? Works of the law. You're made right with God by faith, by entrusting yourself to someone, not by doing something. If anybody anywhere tells you that you have to do something, obey something, act a certain way in order to be made right with God, they are lying to you. And this is my verse to show you that they are lying to you. Once you, are, once you have been transformed by the grace of Christ, then you start obeying things, but you don't obey things to be made right with God. Amen. What Paul is trying to communicate with all this is that our outward forms of piety and religion are not sufficient to make us right with God. You can't go to God with your list of religious activity and expect him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Look at your long list of religious activity for me. That's not how it works with him. Beloved, oh, I got this on here. Look at this. You can't buy God's love with the currency of performance. God's love is not for sale based on what you've done. If you feel like you've never done anything bad, that verse probably won't hit. But if you're a low-down scoundrel like me, I need that truth. If you're a rotten sinner in, in, in such a way where you know your soul is full of muck and mud, you know you're broken on the inside, I need to be reminded that it's not that that God is looking at within me. I can come to him with the muck, with the dirt, with the filth. I can come to him. And he won't turn me away because I don't have to earn my, my standing with him. Example of this concept, Luke chapter 18. Just listen to these words. He also told this parable to some who entrusted in, who trusted in themselves. They had faith in their own abilities, okay? He's talking to a group of people who trusted in their own ability to be made right with God. That they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. This is who he's talking to, right? This dude's setting the stage of who he's talking to. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, verse 10. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. Y'all know, know Pharisee is a religious leader, right? They were like the grouping of religious 
um, authorities of the day. Those were the dudes you go to when you need religious and spiritual goods or, or understanding. You go to the Pharisees, okay? And the other dude was a tax collector. Tax collectors were the most hated people in, uh, out of the Jewish people. They were the most hated because they were Jews who were working for the man, right? The Roman government would employ these Jews to come and steal from their own people. So tax collectors are hated. Pharisees are lifted high. Y'all see? You see Jesus about to set the stage. They see every time he says something up that's easy. When you first read the first verse, like it's easy. Pharisees is off the chain. Y'all think y'all know because y'all been churched. But when you read this without that church lens, you would think, oh, the Pharisees about to be the one lifted up here in this story. Verse 11, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Okay, so he's, he's lifting himself up. He's like, I ain't like these dirt bags. I do that religious goods, right? I got it, I'm on, I got it on lock. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. Then Jesus says, I tell you, this one went down to his house. What's the word? Justified. Made right with God. Rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Beloved, the ultimate act of pride and disrespect to God is to minimize the sacrifice of his son, calling it insufficient by leaning on your religious resume to save you. It's more disrespectful than getting spit on. What's crazy is that's what we do on a daily basis. Every day we wake from our slumber and we don't give praise to the son, the father, and the spirit. We have somehow pridefully believed that our heart was just happened to be strong enough to stay beating throughout the night. Every day we go to work, drop the kids off at of school, go to work, pick them up, go home, cook dinner. We let the busyness of life keep us from acknowledging the strength that God has supplied in us to be able to do those busy things. Beloved, we have fallen prey to a prideful disposition thinking that we have more strength and capability than what we duly really do. God forbid he take that from you. These religious leaders are saying, if you want to be made right with God, you have to do something. Just like this Pharisee, you have to do something. I have to, you have to be circumcised. You have to go get yourself circumcised. That's how you do it. And Paul shows his disgust by saying, I wish those who were disturbing you might let themselves be mutilated. What does mutilated mean? Cut away, amputate, to be lopped off. Y'all see what he's saying, right? Y'all know what circumcision is? Circumcision is the removal of the foreskin. Paul's saying, oh, you want to be righteous? You think you would GB? Let's get real righteous. Take the whole thing. You so bad. You that dude. That's what he's saying. 
Oh, you want to be righteous by your own acts? Take it to the nth degree, why don't you? Lop the whole thing off. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. I'll take trust for 200 Beloved, there's a theological principle that I'm going to keep dusting over in this until we get to a certain point in Galatians, which we're going to dive deep into it. But it's this concept that in Christ, you are no longer under a particular covenant, an agreement or a system that requires you to be circumcised in order to be God's people. OK, look how Paul explains this here. He explains this concept. He says circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. When when is circumcision good? If you're already being obedient to all the other law, right? That's when it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit you. But if you're a lawbreaker, which is everybody, you all see what Paul's setting it up? If you're a lawbreaker, everybody fits that lawbreaker category. But if you're this, which everybody is, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is Physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart. For by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Here's the principle, beloved. Are you a gang member because you got the gang tattoos? No, you a gang member because you bang. That's how you know you in. If y'all don't know what it is, that's what it is. You ain't a gang member because you got the tattoo on your shoulder. You can go get the tattoo in, in Malibu. But if you bang, then okay, qualification. Beloved, you're not a father because you have had a child. Parenting makes you a child. You're not a man because you have a job. Your character makes you a man. Circumcision isn't the qualification that makes you right with God. Your faith in Christ does. It's not the signs that make you what you are. It's the character of the person within. And one of the signs of True faith is a genuine love for one another and love for God. If you noticed in that verse where we taught, showed the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee was lacking a true sign of faith. What was he lacking? A love for people. He said, I'm, I'm thankful I'm not one of those. You ever meet a believer who says that, beloved, pull him aside and say, beloved, what are you doing? You are them. We're not different because you've got different color clothes on. You, you, got, you got the new J's. You're the same. He said, I'm, thinking I'm not one of these unrighteous ones, them sinners. I'm not one of those guys. No, beloved. That's a telltale sign that you are not okay with God. That if you can categorize a person and put them in a category below you, you're not good. You're not good. This is why believers try to lead the charge in outward service to, to anywhere. Because we're like, yo, you mean you're the same, B? I have a car, you don't, but we the same, B. Trust and believe. I'm jacked up. You jacked up too. Come on, let's pray. Let's read the scripts. Let's see what Christ can do for us.
Beloved, don't let anyone ever disturb you or trick you into thinking that your salvation is a combination of faith plus circumcision or faith plus works. We had that sermon several weeks ago. But a complete salvation is evidenced by a genuine love for God and others. And a, com- and a complete salvation is accomplished by entrusting your life to Jesus by faith. This verse I just showed you. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Acts 13, 39. Everyone who believes is justified. The fruit of whether you truly believe comes later. But you don't do the thing in order to get the justification. It starts with faith. It ends with works. It starts with I believe and it ends with I do because I am now, because I believe. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you, from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Ephesians 2.8. For, uh, for you have been saved by grace. You have been justified by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. Remember the illustration? What was he doing? Boasting. I got it on smash. What did the tax collector do? I need mercy. He knew this. The only, the only way he's going to be made right with God was through mercy. And so, beloved, if you're one of those people that try to earn God's favor with your, your, your doing, I want to call you to just put your religious resume in your pocket. And don't exchange one form of bondage for another. Because this, this, this is what we do. This is what the world has taught us. Um, it's taught us that we have to earn people's favor by doing good things for them. Therefore, I have to earn God's favor by doing good things for him. That's what you learned as a kid. You learned it somehow. The reward system taught you. Do a good thing, mom's happy. Do a bad thing, spanks. Whoopings. Yardsticks and belts. Yeah, yardsticks. Yes, I got yardsticks. When we come to God like this, we're, we're, we're substituting, we're exchanging one form of bondage for another. Trying to earn God's favor with our actions is like withholding love from a child until they earn it. And I, I, y'all have heard me say that before. What kind of cruel parent says, I don't love you until you do what I tell you to do? You never do that to your kid. Even though you did what I don't want you to do. Yes, you can hug me. It's It's unique. I spank my children. I'm the first one they want to hug. I can't stiff arm them. Yes, I love you, despite what you've done. How or why does it work this way? Well, Galatians 5.13 tells us why. It says, you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Free from this concept that you have to earn God's favor. You, you have to get that. I know I've been saying the same thing for 30 weeks. Because Galatians is saying the same thing every week. It says the same thing. Be free from this idea that you have to earn God's favor. You can just come with your low down, bad, dirty, sinful self. Come with your skeleton in the closet. Come with the, the, the dirt you did last night. Come. What's your inclination? Run. Jesus is like, no, come to me. 
those who are weary and burdened, those who are jacked up, come, come on. What's keeping you from me? Your own pride, your own bondage in thinking that somehow you have to earn presence with me. What does it mean to be called to be free? Called means to be summoned. It's a call of emancipation. It's a declaration of independence from the bondage of works-based salvation. That's, that's all that encompasses that word called. God is summonsing us. He's saying, come on to me. Y'all remember when, when Lazarus was dead in the tomb, John chapter 11? My favorite chapter. That's the chapter the Lord used to redeem me. Y'all remember when Lazarus was in the tomb and Jesus stood several feet from the tomb, the, the, the stone was rolled away, and he said, Lazarus, come. And Lazarus got up unwrapped himself and or started, started and came out of the tomb that's what calling is Jesus is calling Lazarus come and he's calling you beloved come it's a call it's a declaration you are now free you're not bound anymore y'all remember in 1865 Juneteenth in Texas they said beloved you free now it's a call it's a declaration you good we win so he's begging you come why are we doing it because we don't believe it because we've been taught forever that we have to earn it. But you don't. It's free. He says, come to me. Come to me and experience freedom from sin. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from performance-based love. Freedom from a broken past. Y'all know sometimes y'all do something so grievous that it just follows you for a decade. It wakes you up at night like a dog barking in the middle of the night. Jesus is like, no, nah, come on, B. I'm not, I know about it already. Come to me. And Christ was no longer bound by a law or a covenant that no longer applies. He says, you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Freedom from the law and from sin doesn't mean freedom to sin. Sin this is what people think. Oh, we're free? That means I'm free to do whatever I want to do. It's not the definition of freedom. Because people say, oh, I'm free to sin. No. Sin always equals slavery. It's the opposite of freedom. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. Jesus responded, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is what? Slave to sin. So obviously your freedom doesn't say, oh, now you can go do what you want to do and go live crazy. No, you back bound again if you're doing that. That's not the freedom that we're talking about. Sin is what got us in that pickle in, the, in, in this pickle to begin with. When the scriptures say in that last verse, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, we have to recognize that liberty doesn't always mean license. Just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should do something. Right? And, and when people first get free, they just lose their mind. It's not doing all kind of crazy stuff. No, beloved. It doesn't mean that you should do something just because you have the freedom to do it. Beloved, you shouldn't drink bleach. You're free to drink bleach, but don't do it. It's not smart. I could call you all kind of derogatory names up here, but I shouldn't do it. Not smart. Freedom doesn't mean go do whatever you want to do. It doesn't mean go do what you want. It means uh, freedom equals, sorry, that shouldn't say equals, liberation from illegitimate bondage. That's what freedom is. Freedom is liberation from illegitimate bondage. What is the bondage that we're speaking of? Well, firstly, it's sin. 
That's an intruder that's found its way into the human heart. Y'all remember, sin wasn't a part of the original design that God had, right? He made us and he said, y'all good. Y'all remember that? He made the sky and the earth and the plants and the animals and everything's creeping. He's like, Adam, come over here. Stop naming these dudes. And he's like, oh, yeah, feline out this mug, a canine out this mug. He's like naming everything. And then he's like, oh, it's not good that you alone. Let me make you a honey. And so he goes ahead, puts him to sleep, clack, 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 wakes up and he's like, mm, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She's Eve. And he said everything was good. First command in the scriptures, be fruitful and multiply. Really good. Right. Everything was great. And then what happened? Sin entered the picture. Ever since sin entered in Genesis three, the whole Bible went to smithereens. The whole wonderful story turned to misery. As soon as Eve ate the fruit and Eve gave to Adam, sin entered the picture and human civilization as we know it shifted and changed. Not good. Sin is an intruder. But the beauty is that in Christ, you now have ability, capability, strength over and able to combat sin. You have the strength and the wherewithal now to say no. Doesn't mean you always will, but you have the power within. Uh, Romans chapter 6 says you have been set free from the bondage and chains of sin. It no longer has hold of you, nor mastery over you. The second thing that we're free from is a covenant that no longer has jurisdiction over you or some kind of a works-based system that tells you that you have to do something in order to be saved. Once you place your faith in Jesus, anything that once claimed you can claim you no more. It says you, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Yet don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Let's look at what flesh means. Flesh does not mean muscle tissue, fat cells, thighs, and elbows. Right? When you read flesh, that's not what the word means. Flesh is, is a synonym for saying any aspect of your being or nature that is not being, transformed, or not being redeemed and transformed by the Spirit of God. The flesh isn't just your body doing bad things. It's, it's behavioral. It's a heart issue. You're free from the law of Moses, but that doesn't mean you're free to indulge in acts that are not uh, congruent with the, with the spirit of God. Well, what could it be in this time? Well, if you remember, these people in Christ, they started eating bacon. Y'all know about that. See, I got, I got to have a whole sermon on covenants and laws, bro. They started eating bacon. That's a big deal because you couldn't eat that swine before. And they said, oh, I'm free in Christ. Started eating bacon. Started eating too much bacon. Probably not good for you to eat that much bacon. They took their freedom to the nth degree. We're going to have a whole thing on that. I got to have a whole thing, a whole thing. It's coming. I'll be eating bacon, though. <laughs> About four or five slices. Do me good. It's four or five. What does biblical freedom look like then for you and me? Galatians 5.13 says, for you are free, you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, rather serve one another through love. I want you to, to, to be able to take pieces of this out so you can put it together. You are called to be free, brothers and sisters, right? You're free to do what? To serve. That's kind of paradoxical. You would think free people don't serve. That's not a kingdom paradigm. The freest person to ever live was Christ Jesus. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, 45. He did not come to be served, but to come to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's a kingdom paradigm of freedom. I'm free to give my life as a, an act of service now because I love people and I love God. And if y'all ever give something and it feels real good, 
That's God's institution of that. If it's better to give than receive, the world stole that from the scriptures. Yes, it feels good to give. It feels amazing to serve. This is how you enact your freedom. I got this. I can give it to you. I can lift you up. Acts chapter 2, 42. They had all things in common. I got it, man. It's yours. We're sharing this now. It feels wonderful to be able to do that. It's something godly about serving and giving. Something about it that lifts the soul in ways that taking and giving do not. Biblical freedom, oh, here we go. Biblical freedom is a heart that is transformed in such a way that we are opportunistically motivated by love to serve one another to the glory of God. It's like we're looking for an opportunity to give and to serve. Looking for an opportunity. Now, beloved, let me, let me say this. Let me warn you. You can, op- you can be opportunistically motivated to serve and yet still be bound. Because some of us in the room serve in order to keep our name out of the that person's a user category. Some of us in this room serve to get, some, to get into someone's good graces. Some of us serve because we want recognition or we want a favor later. I'm guilty of that one. The recognition thing, I love it, can't get enough. That's why you all be seeing me hide, because I, I know that's a thing. I want to be known. Nah, I got to hide because I already know I want some recognition. And if y'all are honest, that's you too. I can say it with my chest out because I know what y'all do. We don't got to hide it. Some of us serve to prove to ourselves or to others that we have value. That's why you say some of y'all. You got to prove that you, you're worth something. You have some, some value. If you're serving opportunistically and you're motivated by those things, you're still bound. You're bound to the opinions of man. You're bound by some false dichotomy of what you think you are and what your worth is. You're still bound. What's the key to to free? You're you're serving out of love to the glory of God. That's it. If no one on earth knows that you are the one that was involved in that, you good. God was glorified. You did it out of love, success. Beloved, you know you're free when the chief motivator for serving is loving one another to the glory of God. I just said that. And love, in fact, love is a key behind your relationship with any of God's laws. This is what the next verse says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Law keeping is a result of true love, not a means to attaining true love. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to leave y'all with this. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he has silenced the Sadducees. They came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked the question to test him. So they're always trying to get Jesus. So they're like, all right, we're going we're gonna to get together. Let's put our heads together. These dudes are like Harvard Law degrees, all right? Like they're intelligent brothers. They come together and they go, we got to get this dude. Okay, let's get him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love of the Lord your God and love of your neighbor. I stop because 
I'm often convicted. I'm just repenting in front of y'all, my bad, just listen. I'm often convicted in, in thinking about whether or not my life is one of love. Um, one that is, um, one that is um, truly, uh, do I truly love y'all? That's an honest question I have to ask myself. Or do I love a position or a limelight or, the, or teaching? Or... Y'all ever had those moments where you just get real with yourself for a moment? When I read this verse as I was preparing, it threw my whole sermon prep off and I threw my old sermon in the trash because I started to wonder whether or not I do what I do out of love for God and love for you. Or do I do it in order to show some kind of a superior theological acumen that could make y'all feel ooh and ah by big words? And I was convicted and I found myself repenting because I do think that there are times when my desire is more so to educate your brain, not to love your soul. So if y'all have ever caught a hint of that, beloved, I apologize. The evidence of my faith is found in being able to say that I'm broken too. And that I love y'all. And I love God. And my desire is to get you to him as fast as possible. But if I've ever made you stumble because of big words or theological concepts, beloved, forgive me. And forgive them for being real loud. And <laughs> what do I want you to come away with from these verses? It's these three things. Don't be disturbed because your salvation and acceptance with God is by grace through faith, apart from works of the law. You can play. <laughs> apart from works of the law. Second thing is you're free. You're free from illegitimate bondage to love motivated service. And the third thing is this. Know that because of your faith in Jesus, if you place your faith in Jesus, you're accepted by God. And now you serve people out of the acceptance that was wrought within you. Because he's accepted me, because he's redeemed me. I'm serving everybody because the Lord of Lords and King of Kings has come down to earth to serve me. Who am I to say I can't serve you?